Good morning. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. My name is Travis Shaddix. It is January 10th, 2024. And it is a fairly miserable day here in Lexington, Kentucky. I don't like to start off on a bad vibe. <laughs> That's a word. Um, but man, it's been rough here. And I know in the Northeast, Massachusetts, Connecticut, it's even worse. So I hope everybody's staying safe. Hope everybody's staying warm. And this storm we're going through is um, moving by quickly, uh, I hope, in your area. It's still around here today. We're going to have some more crazy weather on Friday evening. And I'll tell you what, man, the wind here in Lexington is deceptive. It goes beautiful, beautiful days, and then we have freak windstorms, at least compared to what I'm used to. And I'm used to South Florida hurricanes, okay? I lived through the eye of Hurricane Wilma in 2000 and, what was it, 7, I think it was. I mean, it's just, you know, bizarre here, where it's nice and all of a sudden, you know, 50 mile an hour gusts come through. So anyway, I hope everybody's doing well and staying warm. We're going to talk about some turf grass stuff today. Uh, if you're new to the channel, this is Turfgrass Epistemology, and uh, we are exploring how we know what we know about turfgrass science. And we almost always do that through the evidence published in refereed, reputable turfgrass journals. I, uh, we have a video today, we have a fertilizer label today, and we have an article that is an important article. It's a little bit cumbersome. In the sense, I mean, that's not fair. I mean, it's just a lot in it. There, there's the, the, the paper today, the scientists measured a lot of variables on turf grass. And so I'm going to end up doing a fair amount of reading because I don't want to mess it up, basically. The authors are very good at what they do. I don't want to do the paper injustice. Good morning, Polo. Brady. Hofgard. Analyst and Alice Bert, it's from Sweden. Oh, Bert, okay. Well, welcome. If you prefer Bert, then I will refer to you as Bert. Rich the Lawn Guy, Randy, Lush. We've got a lot of people here this morning already. Wayne, good morning, everybody. So today is a paper now. Uh, show now, and then I'll do another one tonight at what do I normally do? Nine p nine p.m. Nine p.m. tonight. I'm so I get lost sometimes. So I'll do another one tonight at nine p.m. And uh, it'll be again on iron. I may end up going over my last paper on iron. Uh, I can't remember what I have in the pipeline, but we have that paper and then we have maybe two or three more and then we'll kind of transition a little bit into iron sulfate influences on weed control and some moss and things like that a few papers on that and then we'll go to a different topic probably after i come back from north florida at the end of the month or i guess the beginning of february so today's video is i guess before i go into this video the um, i want to make sure everybody's clear is that i oftentimes go over videos and explain what the person is missing or misunderstanding. But I want to make sure it's clear that in, in almost every case, I don't see the person on the video as 
um, nefarious or, you know, deceptive or something. I mean, I, I normally see them through my own filter. I see, normally see them as a victim of misinformation rather than the perpetuator of it. So I just want to make sure that's clear. Now, if the person is selling a product and they are communicating misinformation, I, I may I may also not see them as a as a necessarily a in, intentionally deceiving people because they they might not know. Most people just don't know. <laughs> okay, so in order to lie and intentionally deceive somebody, you first uh, you first have to know what is true and then intentionally say something to the contrary. Right? Those, those are that's a different category of people. Those are charlatans and. And, you know, I'll, I'll address them in a different manner. I don't know if I've really presented any on the channel at all, but, um, well, there was one. Yeah. Well, there was one. <laughs> It'll come back again. But most people, homeowners out there on their lawn showing stuff and saying this, I think it's a problem because they're out there communicating misinformation, but they just, they don't know it. I mean, that's a problem too, but I don't, I don't see them in the same light as someone who's intentionally deceiving somebody. So I just want to make sure that's clear before I continue on these videos. Okay, Bert, I'll refer to you as Bert. I see you in the chat. Thank you for letting me know. So today's video comes from a channel that has a huge number of subscribers. I don't know who this guy, I think his name's Pete. I saw, he says it on the video. I don't know this guy. Never saw him before in my life. And let's see, let's go to the internet here. And the, the channel is called GCI Turf, 146,000 subscribers. <laughs> so this is a pretty big channel. Uh, so you all might know him. I don't know him. He's going to talk about iron on his, on his lawn. And the reason I'm showing this is because this particular product that he's using has a slightly different derived from iron source. So I'm going to show the video and then I'm going to show the label of the fertilizer and try to maybe help him out and describe exactly, um, you know, the, the process of why I'm not convinced that this would do anything in terms of the iron anyway. And the video is seven or eight minutes long. I'm only going to show about four of minutes, three or four minutes. And I will, oh, by the way, my audio, as you all know, my microphone has been messed up. I think I fixed it. But yesterday's podcast didn't go out that well, so I'm hopefully it's it's sounding better today than it was yesterday. And as far as the computer audio in this video, I'll do my best to make adjustments. But now, like I said, I'm a one man show, and I don't know what I'm doing on the computer, <laughs> so bear with me. All right, let's listen to the video. So just so you know, this particular guy is he's going to be on his lawn. And for those listening, he'll do a little bit describing what kind of turf grass he has, and he'll describe the interest that he has in this particular product pretty well. So I'll just let him do his, do his own introduction here. Hey there, it's Pete with GCI Turf. Hope you're having a great day today. I uh, welcome you out here to my home. This is my front yard, turf type tall fescue, a little Kentucky bluegrass mixed in it. And we are about in the middle of June-ish. I think today's the 15th, maybe 16th, something like that. And I want to prepare the yard for July 4th. Man, I love July 4th. I love celebrating the freedom. I just want the yard a little extra green, a little extra dark. 
let me just opine here just for one minute on what he said. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. I couldn't care if you're a theist or an atheist. I don't care what religion you are or are not, what color you are. I don't care. But if you don't appreciate the freedom that we have in the United States, we probably can't be friends. <laughs> Just being frank. I've been outside of the United States dozens and dozens of times. My wife and my children are citizens of the United States, but they're also citizens of two different countries outside the United States. And I've been to those countries many times. I had, this was going back 20 years or whatever it was. I had appreciations for our freedom, appreciations for the United States for sure. But when I went to those countries and came back, I was sitting on the, I got off the tarmac in the Miami, Florida. And before they renovated it, by the way, this is 20 years ago. Where it's just the old Miami airport that was just disgusting and grimy and just funky. And I literally got down on that ground and I kissed that dirty ground in the Miami airport. This is something I just wanted to say because I agree with him 100%. I love celebrating July 4th and our freedoms and the liberties that we have. And people, the way our country is going, you can say whatever you want to say. But it still is the country that I want to live in. So... You don't like you don't like what I just said. You can just clip that out and go to the next part. Sorry. <laughs> we continue. Park, you know what I mean. Yeah, if you look at it right now, it's uh, looking pretty dang good. Uh, super thick and dense. The color uh, is really nice on it right now. But I want to give it that extra little kick. Okay, so I'm gonna put down the protein 600 today. Very little nitrogen. You know, back around May, I put down the 12024, and that gave me a good shot of potassium. A little bit of nitrogen to kind of help growth and color and. Help with the stress and that kind of thing fescue and you know other cool season turf in the summer i'm not interested in feeding it a ton of nitrogen right now i do want to feed it okay i do want to continue feeding it you know i've got a water supply so i keep it watered i keep it healthy keep it growing and a growing turf needs food okay so i really don't for the most part i, I would agree with that there's there oftentimes is a misunderstanding from uh, mostly lawn care operators that it can be anybody but mostly lawn care operators where in cool season environments obviously in the summertime you don't want to give it any nitrogen at all don't shut off all the nitrogen don't give any nitrogen because it can increase diseases I, I think that's extreme and i don't think it's fully supported by the evidence we, we still want to have a little bit of nitrogen in our system for even for reduction of some fungus like red thread and so forth so there are, there, there is a good case to be made to have a little bit of nitrogen moving in even into July, even into June and part of July. We don't want to be pushing it and shoving, you know, urea and ammonium sulfate out there at one and two pounds. We don't, that, that would be, you know, potentially problematic. Although I've done it many times and it's fine on research plots, but you're certainly increasing the risk of some diseases. But this idea of shutting off nitrogen completely because in cool season climates, the grass isn't going to slow down greatly in July and August. Usually in Lexington, it's around August. And then it kicks back up at the end of August, 1st of September. <clears throat> but, you know, I don't know if starving of nitrogen in the summertime is a, is a wise decision. So uh, I, I'm with him on that. Give it a little, give it a little so something, give it some food, but don't overdo it. 
stop feeding my turf throughout the entire year. I'm not a feed it in the spring and the fall kind of guy. I like feeding my grass all year long because I like it looking its best all year long. So the 600 that I got, that's just a little touch of nitrogen just to kind of help with the color. And I don't really think I'm gonna see a tremendous amount of growth out of this. What I'm going after in the 600 is that 14% of iron. That's right. 14%. You're talking about dark green. You're getting ready to get it. Okay. So that he made very clear his intentions and his objective or is the purpose of him using this was not for the nitrogen per se. It was for creating a darker green grass in the summertime from the iron in this product. So that's fine to have that position. I don't have any issue with that. Now we're going to talk about the product now. And as you probably know, if you've watched any of the any of the articles that I've gone over up to this point on iron, and you know my position, my um, you know my confidence in this statement is pretty strong, is that I don't see any value in applying any form of granular iron, full stop to turf grass, just period, unless you're doing it for like something else other other than the color if you're doing it for you know moss control or something like that then there may be something there but i'm talking about for color of turf i don't see any value in it because you can achieve the same response or in most cases a greater response by applying it as a liquid to the leaf uh, whereas when you apply it to the as a granule the responses of turf grass to granular applied iron you might find one or two papers, maybe three papers in the literature out of dozens and dozens of papers. And, and in most cases, you will never see a response, a turf grass color or growth or greening or quality response or anything like that from applying granular iron, even if it's chelated. It just generally doesn't happen. Okay. So that's my position. If you've watched any of the previous videos, he is going to apply this product with the intention of increasing the greening, but specifically he's choosing this product. Well, I don't know why he chose it, but it's, I'm inferring from what he said that he's specifically choosing this product because it contains 14% iron. And he's going to emphasize that here in a few minutes or that's what sold him on it. I suppose, I guess, or maybe he sells it. I don't even know who this guy is. Maybe he owns the company for all I know. I have no clue, but that 14% on the tag can be very convincing to people who don't understand the system and don't understand the literature. Okay. And I want, that's the purpose of showing this. It's not necessarily this gentleman. I think his name was Pete. It's not, not him. It's that that number convinced him. Okay. So let's skip ahead to 439 and, and we'll see about the actual product. So it's just like the rest of the protein lineup, got that real small pool size, 180 SGN. So those listening, it's a dark brown sort of organic-y looking product that is uh, not uniform at all in terms of particle size, but it's just a completely uniform color. Looks like, you know, a brown version of a natural organic or something. He's holding it in his hand here for those listening. So it really don't matter what spreader you got, it's going to spread very easily. And when you look at the bag, 6% uh, nitrogen, like I said, 600. Uh, magnesium, 2%. Sulfur, 5%. 
So the product, I don't know if he actually said it yet or not, but the product name is Protein, P-R-O-T-E-N-E, and it's a 600 with 14% iron. Iron, 14%, baby. Uh, it's got some manganese in it, zinc, and molybdenum. So, you know. Now, we've, we've talked, well, let me finish, let me let him finish the sentence. I mean, it's actually a pretty good little micronutrient package in here. Okay, so we've talked also about zinc. I don't know if we've talked about, about molybdenum, per se. We've talked about boron. We've talked about some other micronutrients as well. I can't remember. But I would say, and there's other scientists who are more knowledgeable than I am on this particular area of the literature, but, and, and that's fine. If I'm wrong, then please let me know and, or come on the channel and we'll talk about it. I would say in general, the, the application of micronutrients to turf grass is for the most part useless. So let, let, me, let me explain what I mean by that. There are clearly occasions in the literature where the applications of micronutrients to turf grass may increase some metric that we're interested in. There's other occasions where it actually will decrease it. We've shown, I've shown many papers already where we see a reduction in some interesting turf metric, like whatever it is, color or quality, following the application of, say, zinc or boron. So you might see some increases sometimes. You might see some decreases sometimes. And then the majority of time, nothing happens. That's my take on micronutrients. In the majority of cases, either nothing happens or we see a reduction in the, the turf in some metric. Very rarely do we see a beneficial response to, to zinc, for example, or molybdenum or boron or anything like that. It's very, very rare. It's, I don't know what a percentage is, but it's, if you want a percentage, I would say 90 to 95% of the time, you're going to see nothing happen or a reduction. It might be defined as a toxicity to those micronutrients. So that's one, again, one reason why I say don't do anything unless you have a good reason. And if you think you have a good reason to apply zinc, you might want to check your sources. Okay. Very questionable to say the least. And, he's, and the idea sometimes often is, well, it's zinc, it's in there in a small quantity, or it's boron, it's in there in a small quantity. It's not going to hurt anything. Well, the evidence would suggest otherwise, clearly. Let's continue. We've got about another minute on this video, and then we're going to go to the label. As well. Iron is an iron humate form, and I spoke with them about this because I was concerned about the iron building up in the ground with that much iron going at one time. So I, I actually empathize with him here in this situation. You know, he says, well, I'm putting out so much iron. Is it going to build up or is it going to create some sort of unintended consequence that, you know, I don't want? So from my perspective, he's thinking critically through this a little bit here, but he makes the fatal flaw of pursuing knowledge by contacting the manufacturer or distributor. And that is a fatal flaw many times. Okay. Let's finish this and then I'll explain that in further if you all are interested in hearing my thoughts on that. 
and they assured me that this iron humate form, the particular one that they use, uh, is readily plant available. So the plant's going to take it in, use it, and uh, you know it shouldn't be hanging around for long periods of time in the ground. And like I said, I spoke directly to them about that one of their scientists, and because uh, that was a big concern of mine, because there ain't too many products on the market that's got that for. 14 percent iron that's fun isn't it 14 percent iron okay so that's all i wanted to show so he was skeptical about the 14 percent maybe causing issues and he did what he probably thought he should do and that is contact the manufacturer or the distributor and the scientists in for this company or whatever and they told him that oh it's fine the the iron in this product is plant available and won't be a problem It'll be taken up now we've i've shown you the amount of soluble iron in iron humate after it's been uh in an acid bath a hot acid bath for a week is about 30 percent i've shown you the the bar charts on that you can go back and look at that video and if i knew how to post it like people do little clips of it or little links to it i would do that but i have no clue how to do that so, but go, go back and watch. It's one of the first, I think it was maybe a month ago, I talked about iron and turfgrass systems. So when you apply iron humate, about 60 to 70% is insoluble in, in, a, in a hot acid. So about 30% is soluble, roughly. I also showed the staining of concrete following iron humate, and we did see a little bit of staining, like a faded brown stain following application of water to iron humate on con on concrete inferring or implying i should say that some of the iron in there was soluble and, and solubilized into the concrete but then stained it oxidized okay we've also done the longevity study that was a solubility study what was that that was my other paper i did on uh did i include iron humate in that study let me look that was the solubility of iron fertilizers in 10 iron fertilizers in these soils. Did I include iron humate in that? Yeah. So that was the, 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 the couple days ago, we did a paper called solubility of 10 iron fertilizers in 11 North American soils, where I incubated numerous iron sources in these 11 different soils from one hour all the way out to three weeks. And in that study, which was a video going over the entire study. You're welcome to go back and look at that. In that study, there was never a time from one hour to 21 days where the solubility of iron in the soil exceeded the solubility of iron from non-treated soil. Okay, so there is no soluble iron that we've been able to measure in the soil following the application of iron humate, at least in those 11 soils, varying from soil pHs of 5.1 to 7.9. So I'm pretty confident that you're not going to see any turf response to the iron and iron humate. And that's what he said, the late, that he called them and said the iron humate in here is soluble and whatever. And of course, that's what someone selling the product is going to tell you. They don't know. I can pre I'm pretty confident that whatever quote unquote scientists at that company said, whoever they were or whatever they said, they don't know what they're talking about when it comes to iron. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that no one really knows what they're talking about when it comes to soil iron or plant iron for that matter. It, it is, like I said before, it's immensely complicated. We're, I mean, it's, it's like if the entire planet was 
coded with a jigsaw puzzle. It's like we've taken one little piece of that puzzle out. That's, that's sort of our knowledge and our ability to pierce the, the, the confounding issues with iron in the soil. It's it, it ridiculously d- difficult to, to comprehend. So I'm not convinced anybody does. But their scientists apparently do. Of course, they're going to tell him, hey, it's soluble. You know, take it up by the plant. They don't know. So he did, the, he did the right thing. He was skeptical, but he called the wrong person, unfortunately. What I would recommend you do is talk to one of many turf scientists in, in, at your anger institution or soil scientists. It can be in, in this particular case with soluble iron. It doesn't even need to be a turf scientist. It can be a soil scientist. And ask them, who, who knows much about iron and soils and turf grasses? I mean, who, who, I, need, I have a question in, about iron humate, and I'm curious if there's anybody there that can help me understand this a little better. And if they, it's not them, ask them, do you know somebody? And have them con, you know, connect you with somebody who's familiar with this uh, situation. I mean, eventually you're going to find somebody who's not uh, financially invested in the results of the product. They're going to give you an unbiased, or as best they can, an unbiased opinion. Uh, about this particular raw material or just email me call me my my phone where's my phone number put my phone number up there my phone number by the way i don't check it the uh oops hang on uh, i guess i can't do that i don't check i don't i don't I don't check it i do check it i don't um here there there's the number i don't answer that phone during the day at all Okay, so you can call it all you want, and you'll just just leave a message, and, and I'll listen to your message. So I'm not hiding. 859-444-4234. Any messages left on there will be answered on the show for free. <laughs> Won't cost you a nickel. <laughs> so give it a call. Leave a message, and I'll, uh, I'll reply back. Either I'll text you back, or I'll just reply back on the show, or whatever. Okay? There's very few things that I'm you know, decent at, but I mean, I I think this is probably one area that I might be able to help you with. Let me take that off. I don't want people calling right now anyway on the, on the show. So 859-444-4234, call that number and I'll help you. So let's look at the label of this protein 600 with 14% iron. I shouldn't say that. I don't, I don't mean to mock the man. I don't have a problem with him at all. Um, okay, so here's the 600, 14% iron from protein, uh, protein performance fertilizer. And as I walk through these labels, um, I'll kind of verbalize it, or this label, is that right here is the 14%, and we see that 5.6% is water-soluble iron. But that doesn't really tell us much. We need to know from what source the iron was derived from. And so you have to go down here and look in the derived from statement which in the United States this is required. I don't think it's required in the EU or even even maybe even Canada, I don't know. But this derived from statement is really the consumer's best friend. That way we know exactly what we're buying and what we're putting out. And right here is iron humate, but we also have ferrous sulfate, which gives us um, an idea of where this water-soluble component comes from. We, we also have this other product, iron amino acid complex. And I don't see any other iron sources. By the way, I have magnesium oxide, manganese oxide, and all these other oxide sources that are mostly unavailable. Uh, yeah. So we have three iron sources, which will, in almost every case, 
prevent us from determining exactly what's in there in terms of the, the percentages of, of the raw material that contribute to the iron. So in other words, I don't know how much iron hemates in there. I don't know how much ferrous sulfate's in there because this iron amino acid complex, I'm not sure if they categorize that as 100% water soluble or 100% water insoluble. And it confounds my ability to determine exactly what's in here. But I'm, gonna, I'm just going to assume the ferrous sulfate comprises all this 5.6% percent, sorry, and the iron hemate comprises a majority of this 14%. Again, I don't know where the iron amino acid complex falls in the line there. I don't know. But we know from the, stu- from, the, from the solubility studies and from the turf grass response study that I showed yesterday, I think it was, that we don't see any responses from fer- uh, granular applied iron sulfate because it oxidizes within minutes of, of hitting the soil. So ferrous sulfate granular, granular ferrous sulfate is a complete waste of money unless you're using it for some other issue like if you're using it for ph issues or you're using it for you know moss or silvery thread moss issues or something like that there could be some value there but for turf color responses fair granular ferrous sulfate is there's no evidence to to convince me that you should use it i can't say it doesn't work as a scientist pragmatically i'm speaking it doesn't work stop applying it now when it comes to iron humate we've also done work with that we show, showed the solubility of it. it is no different than non-treated turf a non-treated soil at all. There's no response to iron humate granular. So we can check that off the box. It's not going to do anything in terms of turf color. There's no evidence to convince me at all that iron humate is going to result in any sort of turf color or quality or growth response at all. So the only thing else in here that could do anything is an iron amino acid complex. And these amino acids sometimes can uh, confuse people. Because the turf can take up anything that's soluble in the soil solution. I mean, it's not necessarily going to, it's not like a, you know, an open a door at the club and people are selectively saying you can come in and you can't. I mean, there are, well, actually, technically there is a little bit of that going on, but, but it's, if it's soluble in the soil solution, it, strictly speaking, it has the potential to take it up into the plant. So amino acids do get taken up into plants through the root system. That, that's clear in the literature, particularly from some, most of the literature outside of turf grass, there is some evidence that happens. But the iron amino acid complex, as far as I'm aware, has never been published in the scientific literature for turf grass at all. So, because I'm not aware of it, I'm not convinced. It's not, it's not up to me to find evidence to refute it right it's up to this company protein and the distributor and manufacturer whoever the salesman is to convince me to, that this actually does something and that that's one reason why i wanted to show this video is that this contains an, a unique derived from component that i'm not familiar with in the literature and i'm assuming you're not familiar with in the literature okay it doesn't mean it doesn't work but it also doesn't mean it does work i'm skeptical of anything like this in in that i'm unaware of so my position hasn't moved off the center line. There's no, I haven't seen any convincing reason to put this out on my lawn. So the question then is, what would convince you, Dr. Shattuck? What would convince you that this iron amino acid complex is necessary or going to result in, you know, some desired outcome? Published evidence in refereed reputable turf grass journals that show that iron amino acid complex, after application, results 
and a turf grass greening or turf grass quality increase. That's what would convince me. Not some data on a marketing sheet, not some marketing sheet that says, you know, University ABC did this with Dr. So-and-so and found there was an increase in iron in the tissue or iron increase in iron. Let's say it has increased the iron, the turf grass quality. Uh, the iron amino acid increased turf grass quality at, at, you know, ABC State University. Don't care. That doesn't convince me, and I hope it doesn't convince you. What convinces me is published evidence in refereed, reputable turf grass journals. And nothing less than that will, will even come close to moving me off the center line. Okay? So I just wanted to show that video and then I show this tag um, for a couple examples, but primarily that is that even in cases where raw materials are used, where I don't know what it is, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you all in this case. And many of you know what all these other things are, ammonium sulfate, and we're all very familiar with these. But in some cases, you probably run across raw materials that you don't know anything about. And so do I. This is an example of that. So just because I don't know anything about it doesn't mean you should be convinced to buy it and put it on your on your lawn. I have seen zero evidence other than I did one thing years and years ago with EDTA in a really strange situation. I never published it, but there was some little thing going on there. But very, very rarely do I ever see any turf grass response to granular iron. At time after time after time in the literature and in my own research. So my position is don't apply any granular iron unless... There's some convincing evidence, and there's nothing I've seen that would convince me to buy this. And I hope that you don't waste your money on uh, not just this product, but other similar analogous situations where a new product comes on the market with a new derived from, and they go, well, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's protein hydrolysate, which is right here actually on this label, ironically enough. And this is going to do something super special. Might. Show me, show me the evidence, and I'll look into it. Until then... Uh, being skeptical and refraining from jumping on board with these things will very likely save you guys a lot of money. Okay. So that was Pete from GCI Turf. He was convinced because it had 14% iron in it. And I suspect that probably convinced a lot of people. He's probably not the only one that got convinced because of that high number. And uh, I'm sorry that a lot of people get fooled by that sort of, you know, marketing okay i'm gonna click that off and we're gonna go to the article anything in the chat today that i want to get to yet before we get into the article So Gardner Earth Guy says, I always thought that when we did iron sulfate sprays in the spring, the stained leaves decomposed and put iron back in the soil. I question everything I've done on the job for 30 years. Well, the iron, the iron probably will stain a leaf. And the iron from the leaf will get cut off and go back into the soil. So you're right about that. It will go back into the soil. It's not going to volatilize iron doesn't do that it's going to go back into the soil but it's in an unavailable form so the iron that any iron that you've sprayed out that let's say it does give you the response you're looking for and then you cut off the leaf surface it's not going to go anywhere it's still in the soil right 
and um, if it's been oxidized, then it's not going to be available. If it entered the plant and then was cut off, if, if it entered the plant and was converted into a, an organic uh, component or structure, there might be something there, which I, again, I haven't been able to show that. It's very difficult to show that. But if it's on the leaf surface and then oxidized and then cut and remained in the soil, then it's still oxidized. It's not going to be available in any practical sense anyway. Now Gray says maybe the protein manufacturer does not know it won't help, but won't divulge it. Be oh, does know, does know it won't help, but won't divulge it because it's what they sell. Well, Gray, I'll say this. I'm very close to being on your side on that one. I had a conversation years ago with a major manufacturer of, of home lawn fertilizers, and I've mentioned this before on the channel, where the VP asked me on the phone, do you think we'll ever get an iron so granular iron source that actually will result in a response? And this is a manufacturer, not the manufacturer, they're the distributor. They're, they're the distributor of the most granular fertilizers for lawn care in the United States, and almost all of their fertilizer contains iron. So in that case, clearly the company knows it's not going to result in an iron response. He asked me, do you think we'll ever get one that will? <laughs> so he knows the one in the bag won't. So in, in that's not this particular company protein, but some people do know that. I would say the majority probably don't know that. They just don't care because that's what the consumer wants to see on the bag. That's what sells more fertilizer. It sees iron and it's deeper greening. They don't particularly care if it does or if it doesn't. Um, they want the marketing on the tag and they want the label. So, you know, their numbers probably indicate they sell more fertilizer when it's on the label compared to when it's not. That's all speculation, but that'd be my take on that probably. Yeah, Garden Earth Guy, I'm going to go over, it says granular iron sulfate will only burn holes in moss and spray is the way to go. I'm going to go over one or two papers on moss. I, I, honestly, I don't really, I don't really remember seeing one with granular iron. Most of it's been all spray applicated iron. I don't recall off the top of my head seeing a, a, a moss control with granular iron, although I'm sure it exists. If, after you get to like the 90s in the literature, you won't find a whole lot of iron publications that use granular iron really for anything because we know we knew by that point there really wasn't much value in it there was no point in applying granular iron because there's no response it oxidizes quickly there's no there's no value so even the, the research will almost always apply iron in a foliar form in a liquid form so that should tell you right there that that's the way to go we you know only in cases where we're just trying to show the differences in between carriers like when i do i do a granular versus foliar i'm trying to show the difference between these two it's the same source it's just a different form in those cases we might be trying to we might, we might be using granular iron but in most cases you don't see granular iron a whole lot anymore in the, in the literature because we know it doesn't work so brent says does bent grass reach a genetic limit on color yeah every turf grass reaches a genetic limit so there's two two ways to measure color one is the color and then another one is genetic color and this is uh delineated or defined i should say in the i think it's best defined in the national turfgrass evaluation program the instructions for researchers i may bring that up i don't know if i have it handy you can go online on intep.org and find that and they describe genetic color versus overall color so for example like 
Kentucky bluegrass, well, the, its genetic color will almost always be, well, its overall color will almost always be lower than, say, tall fescue as the overall color. But the genetic color is the, the maximum genetic color is, is what it is. I mean, you're not going to, it only has a, you know, a certain capability of increasing the color. You can, you can apply things to the surface of the leaf, like dyes and pigments and iron sulfate to change that. But as far as the, the, you know, the metabolism of iron in the plant changing the color, it does have a limit. So, uh, what was, I can't, you wanted to go by, let me look up here again. Bert. So Bert from Sweden, I think it was. Yeah. Bert from Sweden. How to avoid iron layer when iron meets a perched water table in a USJ green. I'll probably, I'm going to ask him to come on the channel and, and go over his, um, papers. There's a sign, there's a newer graduate who's published a couple papers on cemented iron layers in putting greens, but how to avoid iron layer is, I think that's probably still an unknown. A lot of, a lot of times it's, well, we should reduce iron uh, applications to putting greens and that may have an effect or it may not have an effect. There may be such iron in the, in the system already in the root zone layer, I should say, um, that the amount of iron you're applying is insignificant compared to the amount of iron that's solubilizing and then reoxidizing at that layer or reducing at that layer, depending on what's going on down there. But yeah, I don't know how to, I don't know how to answer that Bert from Sweden. I don't know how to answer that, but I, I do know that I do have some interest in bringing that author on and talking about that particular subject. That's probably so specific that many people watching might not know what you're talking about, <laughs> but, but it is uh, clearly a concern. You almost form a layer of steel down there. Or I don't know how to explain I me. Mean, it's like metal at the bottom of these, the, 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 the bottom layer of a putting green where it inter interfaces with the next either the water or the perched the gravel layer or whatever it is where there's a textural discontinuity for those soil scientists out there and the the iron will meet that layer and then start to form a really an impenetrable metal layer essentially but i don't know how to to answer that question other than I don't know and I'll get that scientist on to help address that I got to get into the article I'm already getting late here okay let's get into the PDF today the PDF today the article today is uh, iron fertilization effects on shoot and root growth water use and drought stress of creeping bent grass and it's published in agronomy journal in 1992 by Glinsky Bob Caro and Keith Carnock. Okay. I'm going to move through this pretty quick because it's a relatively, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a whole lot of time, but it's an important paper. Okay, here we go, guys. The research for this, this study, which again, the iron, iron fertilization effects on creeping bent grass was conducted on two year old pin cross creeping bent grass in Griffin, Georgia on a USGA spec putting green. The sand in the mix was predominantly quartz and the mix exhibited a DTPA extractable iron layer level of greater than 8.5, which was considered high. 
So to answer Bert from Sweden's question is that the mix itself in this particular case, the iron was high in the mix. So kind of refer back to your, your interest or whatever, um, Bert, about the cementing iron layer. There's some, there's a lot of questions to be asked, but there's a concept that we can just remove iron or stop applying so much iron, which might be the solution. I don't know. But in this case, there's already so much iron in the mix itself, 8.5 parts per million iron that it's a, it's very possible in this situation, if it was uh, conducive to that layer formation, that it, the iron probably came from the mix in this case. Okay, iron treatments include a, a control, which did not receive any iron, ferrous sulfate, lawnplex, and sequestering 330. Okay, so treatments were applied over a 17-month period beginning in March of 1987 and continued through July of 1988. Iron was foliar applied with a CO2 backpack sprayer each month at basically one pound of iron per acre. Yeah, well, it is one pound of iron per acre. And here's the curve volume. And then it says application dates were February 16th, basically February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, and then February, March, April, and June of the next year. So every month, basically. Applications were in the morning before 10 a.m., usually in the presence of dew. To evaluate the influence of iron carriers on turf grass visual quality and color, plots were rated monthly just prior to iron application except for weekly ratings in the summer. All ratings were made between 11 a.m. And, and 3 p.m. 27 total ratings were made. Now, I say this here, I highlight that because when we're doing ratings or you're looking at your lawn and you want to see differences, it is very, it's very easy to be deceived by the sun. Okay, there's a very specific way in which we do turf quality ratings. There's a very specific way in which we stand on the plots, the time of day that we do it, because we know the sun and the shadows can play games with our eyes when we're looking at the turf, particularly for quality and color. And they state right here, it was made between 11 a.m. and 3, yeah, 3 p.m. So it was in the middle of the day when the sun, basically solar noon is when it was. Quality ratings range, which is when you should do it. Quality ratings range from nine to one the color ratings range from nine to one rating and goes from you know ideal to no turf and ideal to no color and so forth ratings were analyzed by individual dates and in groups due to the large number of individual readings only seasonal results are reported clippings were collected at least once a month verter samples were collected uh so they did clippings they did verter they did color uh, the quality ratings during the study plots were subject to four drought stress periods during these stress periods uh, the what they did was they shut the water off and I think they waited for three days in the afternoon. Yeah, usually in the afternoon of the third day, they shut they shut the water off and they waited for three days and they put add, uh, put water back on so they wouldn't eventually die. And they just wanted to see what would happen during these dry down periods. And the root samples were collected after the dry down period. Canopy temperature was measured as well to see what, what effect, if any, and the iron treatments had on canopy temperature. Water use was determined with the TDR. For those who aren't interested, Think of like a two-pronged fork. When you stick it in the soil, this uh, this instrument will send an electrical signal between those two forks. And through calibrations and cor correlations, they've determined what that electrical signal is, is very strongly cor um, co uh, correlated with the moisture in the soil. So it's a very common way of measuring water use and the moisture status of the soil. And so that they measured water use by determining mo monitoring soil moisture with a TDR time domain reflectometry immediately prior to the end of the stress period 
plot appearance was evaluated. So they dried it down, and then before they stopped it, they did the plot evaluation. Wilt ratings were on a scale of zero, no wilt, to nine, 80 to 100% wilt. Plot area, I don't know why they didn't do it by percentage, but they did it by rating. That's fine. Uh, plot, oh, okay. At the same time, plots were rated for turf quality. So they did quality, they did wilt. Uh, during the stress period, they did root afterwards. Root growth was characterized by root weight and length. Okay, now the results. Color and visual quality. Iron applications enhance the, yeah, okay. Iron, iron applications enhance the degree of green color in all seasons, table one. Little differences occurred between iron carriers except for ferrous sulfate and lawnplex producing significantly darker color than the sequestering 330 on one occasion. When significant color responses to iron applications occurred compared to the control, the magnitude of response tended to be greater in the cooler seasons than in the midsummer months. When averaged over all iron carriers and compared to the control, color improvement from iron applications by 8.6%, 8.6%, 9.6%, and 5.9% respectively for the spring, summer, fall, and then mid to late and mid to late summer. I don't know why they add that at the end. Basically, what they're saying is the greatest impact of iron occurred in the cooler months of the fall as opposed to the summertime, which is very common whenever the grass is, is healthy and growing. We apply these products, we generally see a response as opposed to doing it during a stressful period in the summertime. It's not uncommon to see that. Now, this table here is what he was referring to table. Oh, he said table, table one. So what I wanted to point out here is that color and visual quality responses Color and visual, let me fix this over here. I didn't see that was messed up. Sorry, guys. Um, whoops. And I'm just adjusting something on the screen for the folks watching. <clears throat> Sorry, okay. Okay, so color and visual quality responses, table one, and we'll see... I've highlighted in yellow the, the non-treated, and we'll see for the most part, and remember all these are applying, being applied as a liquid to the leaf surface. For the most part, you'll see the uh, three iron products result in an increase in quality almost every single time. You'll see it in spring, summer, late summer, virtually every time. This one here, the lawn, the lawn, this Questering 330 didn't, didn't separate out in the early fall, but the other two iron sources did. Here they did. I mean, pretty, pretty much every single application, they showed an increase. They, they reported an increase in turf color following the application of iron, soluble iron. In only in one case, they, they, the soluble iron did not result in an increase. Okay, even in cases where the turf grass is already pretty acceptable, the, the, the non-treated control was all around a six and a half or seven most of the time. And you increased it by about a half a point to a point, the color. The quality was pretty much the same way. Qual quality for the most part increased, well, actually it's a little less likely, but we see increases in quality. Well, towards the end we see increases in quality almost the entire uh, second year. But we see increases in color. And the majority of time we see increases in quality and the form of iron or the, the carrier, the iron sulfate or lawnplex or sequestering 230 was for the most part less important, which goes back to what I said for the last week or two is that I don't see much benefit to applying or buying a product that's more expensive than spray grade iron sulfate. 
in terms of turf color and quality. If, if it's more expensive than iron sulfate um, spray grade, I don't see the benefit in applying it because you're not going to see much benefit in the turf grass relative to just spray grade iron sulfate. Any benefit from the chelate is going to come in the tank and the mixing of the materials, not on the turf surface itself usually. Okay, that's generally the case. And they, they found this back in 1992. And I've, I found the same thing, basically. So it's been reported multiple times that soluble iron's the way to go if you're going to split hairs between the sources of soluble iron i wouldn't spend any more money on it unless you were convinced there's good evidence that you needed these chelates to keep your screens clean when you're spraying it out to keep it from salting out or gumming up in the in the tank before you spray it out which there may be something there i haven't seen any literature on it but anecdotally there's probably something there Okay, so color and visual quality is pretty straightforward. We saw an increase in color and quality pretty much from every source, okay, for the most part. Shoot growth and leaf iron content. Iron treatment analysis showed that iron influence, that iron influence creeping yields on some date, influence, there's a typo there, showed that iron influence clipping yields on some dates, table two, and iron carriers differed in their influence on clipping yields. So here's again, number two or three, it's either two or three articles I've shown that show or report an increase or an influence, I should say, on turf grass growth following iron applications. So this concept of, oh, I'm apply iron, it's not going to change the growth rate, green without growth, I would say pragmatically, for the most part, that's probably true. But it's certainly not true in all cases. There are clearly cases, I've shown two or three of them, I, th- I think three of them, that showed an increase in, in shoot growth as a result of applying iron. Now the study I published, or I, I talked about yesterday where we looked at iron from all the, oh, what was it yesterday? I can't remember when I, anyway, I, I went over one article. When was that? Was that my article? I don't remember if it was my article or somebody else's article where there was a fairly robust, robust study and there was no influence on iron, no influence on growth following iron applications. So I would say in the most part, it's probably true in most settings, but clearly it's not true in all settings. There's clearly cases where iron can increase turf grass growth. Lawnplex produced significantly greater yields than the control on only two out of 11 occasions. Most significant yield differences among iron carriers occurred in the fall. So here we're going to see leaf iron content and clipping yields in a similar table as we just showed with the other table. On the top, we're going to have leaf iron content. On the bottom, we're going to have clipping yields. On the left for those listing, we have all the treatments, and the non-treated, the iron sulfate, the lomplex, and the sequestering 330. Don't worry about this CV percentage. It has nothing to do with the differences among treatments. So in this particular table, leaf iron content only differed from the control from iron sulfate in June, and in June 19th and June 29th of 2000 and oh, I guess 2000 or no, I'm sorry, 1987. So there's a little bit of an increase in the iron content following foliar iron sulfate. Nothing from the other two. I mean, biologically, there's probably an increase here, but statistically, there's not. And then we see both lawnplex and foliar applied iron sulfate increase the iron content uh, in another month, and then we see all three increase it in another month. And then, okay, so another one. So one, two, three, four, five, five occasions out of maybe, what do you, oh, maybe he said it, five out of 11? Five out of, I guess, 11. 
there was an influence by one of the iron sources. Usually it was foliar applied iron sulfate, but there are occasions where Lonplex and sequestering 330 also increase the iron content in the leaves. When it comes to the clipping yields, only two times did the clipping yields change in terms of increased growth compared to non-treated, but they were there was an increase. In September, on September and October 17th, there was an increase following Lonplex, the application of Lonplex. Now he's going to, the authors are going to explain probably, that's probably not coming from the iron. They weren't able to show that, but they, they postulate there might be something else going on there. And I'm going to explain that. Actually, the authors are going to explain it. I'm just going to report it. Verter measurements, another indicator of shoot growth, showed that sequestering 330 reduced turf grass shoot growth. Table 3. Relative to the control, sequestering 330 decreased verter by about 18%. And that's what we're looking at here in Table 3. We see a reduction by about 18% in the verter of bent grass in 1987 compared to non-treated. Okay. So in this case, the application of iron was detrimental to verter. It reduced it. That's not what we want. The variance in influence. Oh, here we go. The variance in influence of iron carrier on clipping yield and verter ranged from no apparent effect for iron sulfate, a tendency for somewhat greater clipping yields for the lawnplex, and a tendency for reduced verter from sequestering 330. So we have differences among these sources. One increases it. One doesn't do anything. One decreases it. On 5 of 11 sampling day, oh, okay, that's what I said. On 5 of 11 sampling dates, a significant increase in leaf iron content occurred, okay? No single iron carrier was consistently better than the others, but sequestering 330 tended to result in the least increase in leaf iron content. Okay. Now, here, let's read this little thing I highlighted in red here. Sometimes I highlight things in red because I want to emphasize them. I don't want to miss them. Tissue iron content did not correlate well with color. The highest correlations occurred in 1987 on September 17th with an R of point. I think that's R squared. I think they just left it off. I don't know. if Anyway, an R of 0.5 and November 13th, an R of 0.49. So 50% basically of the error or the variance we're accounting for in the model. The wet digestion removes total plant iron. But evidence indicates quantification of chloroplast lamella bound iron, the iron in the chloroplast lamella, correlates best to chlorophyll content. So let me explain what they're saying. When we do tissue analysis for iron, we digest everything down into a solution, a liquid. And then we burn that liquid on an instrument. Usually it's an ICAP or an, and some other instrument. It depends on what you're measuring. But in, nowadays it's almost always an ICAP. An inductively coupled plasma emission spectrophotometer. Basically, it burns it in plasma, and then the emission of light based upon the element can be very accurately determined in the magnitude of the... Anyway, I don't want to go into detail, but that's how it works. And what that, But the problem with that process is, is that it just does everything in the system. It, it measures all the iron in the system. And what these authors are saying is, is that that's not well correlated with color. Okay. The iron that's specifically associated with a component of the chloroplast actually is better correlated with color. 
So here's a case to be made to not use iron and tissue as a means to determine, you know, or predict what your color should be or what your color will be. Okay. Because the total iron is not well correlated as well as a specific component in the plant. The iron with that component is better correlated. But to do that is ex much more expensive and labor intensive. And almost no one does that. I'm not a big fan of tissue testing. And unless you have a very specific reason and a very specific thing you're looking for. If you're trying to... to um, if you're trying to use it to kind of guide you as looking at a turf problem, you're using it to kind of uh, help direct you towards a potential solution or uh, of what you're seeing in the turf. Like you have a problem, you can't diagnose it. Sometimes plant tissue analysis can help you kind of guide you where you should be going. Uh, but just taking tissue analysis and saying, well, my tissue the iron is low and I should be applying iron is definitely not what we should be doing. It might be what we can do in the future if somebody wants to throw a gazillion dollars at it or a ton of money and we end up doing figuring out exactly what the tissue analysis should be for a certain correlated turf quality then then that would work but that's not as far as i know there's very little work done with that i, I did some work on on that in south florida but uh, they vary by season turf the turf quality and the corresponding nutrient content of the tissue that varies by spring, summer, fall, winter. So in other words, the concentrations can fluctuate up and down and the correlation with the turf quality also fluctuates up, up and down based upon the season, which we can all, we can all, you know, partition all that out. We, it can be done. It just, as far as I know, it hasn't been done. So until it gets done, I wouldn't use it as a means to, you know, convince you to apply a nutrient or not apply a nutrient. I would use tissue sampling as a means to help guide you. Like I said, help guide you if you're trying to diagnose a turf problem. It can be done in those cases. Or in cases where if you're so inclined to take many, many samples on the same plot over and over and over again for many months or years, you can probably kind of get a baseline value of what your turf quality is relative to the tissue analysis, what it might be. In those cases, which I don't know anybody that's doing that, but it's very possible someone is doing that. You might have a general idea, like you know your temperature is 98.7 instead of 98.6, or you know your body temperature is 99 instead of 98. If you've done that many, many times, you say, hey, for me, that my, my body temperature is probably closer to 99 than 98.6. You can kind of get an idea, you know, what you specifically should be looking for in your turf or your body. In those cases, they might be useful, but it would, it would require a fair amount of time and effort to develop those ranges. I don't know. I kind of got diverted there on tissue sample. Sorry. Uh, shoot response after stress. Shoot responses to water stress following drought stress periods were negligible in terms of color and quality. The most dramatic differences in stress response appeared as wilt. So in other words, the color didn't really change that much. It was what, what changed that much in terms of the turf response to drought was the wilting of the plant itself. In June, July, and August, no treatment differences occurred. So it didn't help wilt in June, July, and August. In October, control plots wilted more than the iron treatments. Several factors could influence wilt. The, um, what was the CT? I always forget these things. Canopy temperature. The, where was that? I lost myself here. Several factors can influence that. The canopy temperature, water use, and root growth. 
None of these appeared to explain the October wilt responses when compared with control versus iron carrier data. So anyway, they can't figure out what's going on with the, with the wilt. They, did, they saw nothing really happen all summer and there was something happened in October. While iron application on creeping bent grass in stressful summer months is, common, is a common grower practice, these research results indicate color and quality responses are minimal. In the summer, in the summer months of on creeping bent grass, some color improvements may occur in the summer, but they are of such a small magnitude that they have little or no influence on overall visual quality. So, if you're putting out iron, maybe in the '80s they were doing this, putting out liquid iron on your on your bent grass because the turf grass is stressed and you want to give it a little extra color. What this is saying is that the influence is very negligible in the summer months. The influence was primarily in the fall. Verter was reduced to some extent by sequestering 330, but this appears to be a carrier rather than a true iron response. Clipping yield responses occurred, but primarily in the fall were not of great magnitude. So we're saying not much happened. And when it did happen, it might not have been from the iron. It might have been from the carrier itself, not specifically from the iron. We're going to go into that a little bit more. They will go into that a little bit more. Root growth. In this study, iron applications decreased root growth or had no effect. Table 5. Iron did not affect root growth in early to mid-September. I'm sorry, mid, early to mid-summer. Creeping bent grass rooting is greatest in the spring to early summer. Thus, the July and June dates should represent maximum seasonal rooting. Apparently, iron applications did not influence the magnitude of spring root growth. So they're not seeing much for the roots. From not seeing much for the roots except for a decrease, a decline. They show a decrease. From, from late June to early July until August should be the period of overall root decline for cool season grasses. In late summer, which is August, ferrous sulfate treated turf had 22% lower root leaf density than the control. Sequestering 330 and, and lawnplex tended to cause a lower root leaf density than the control at both, at both depths. So we're seeing a, lower root, a reduced root leaf density following the application of some iron in some, some months. In fall, iron carries had the most significant influence on root growth. Table five, all iron sources yielded less total roots than the control. So if you're looking to grow roots, these papers are saying don't apply these sources because they're showing either nothing happened or a reduction in root growth in many cases. Okay, thus, iron treatments did not enhance rooting and actually seemed to result in greater root growth decline, especially from August to mid-fall. The root growth enhancement in summer months reported by Snyder and Smith, he's talking about another paper that showed there's an increase in roots, was not observed in our study. Although several of the iron applications and root sampling dates in our study do not coincide with this other, the other researchers, our June to August results should coincide with theirs. Fall to, fall to winter applications. Differences in climate and or, so they're just, just, they're just explaining what happened or why they think it happened, was the sole iron, okay, sequestering 330 was the sole iron source used in their studies. Root responses may reflect the potential shoot growth regulation responses of the carrier more than the true iron response. So they're saying that might not be the iron, it may be the other, the carrier that was in the iron, like the the sequestering 330 part of it, or what, what, what else, whatever else was in the lawn plex. I'm going to move much quicker. We viewed higher water use as beneficial it's another remember they're also looking at water use as a means to alleviate potential stress so in cases when you're wanting to alleviate summer stress you want high water use you want the plant to be respiring or transpiring sorry transpiring water and they're saying we viewed higher water use as beneficial in the conditions of the study a sandy soil media with a low holding water holding capacity a limited depth of root 
a grass with high water use and conditions requiring the turf to maintain turgor for wear resistance. So I agree with that. A turf that absorbs water quickly would have better drought avoidance capabilities. One of our objectives was to determine if iron enhanced the ability of bent grass to extract water for the first one to two days after an irrigation event, which could reflect enhanced summer stress tolerance. So very, very clear what, why they did what they did. During July, the July stress period, the Lonplex plots used 24% more water than the control. All differences occurred in the first two days of the period and, and were from the top, or from, I'm sorry, from the 10 to 20 centimeter root zone. Remember, they're using that uh, they're using that probe to determine moisture content in the soil, and they're saying that the lawnplex resulted in a reduced amount of moisture in the soil. In other words, it, it transpired more water out of the plant. Turf treated with sequestering 330 used 11% less total water. So the lawnplex used 24% more. The sequestering used 11% less water than the control, and the differences were attributed to 55% lower water extraction from the 10 to 20 centimeter soil zone. On day two, no differences in water use or extraction patterns were observed from the ferrous sulfate. So nothing happened in ferrous sulfate. The sequestering 330 actually reduced the water transpired, or not transpired, I should say, and the increased the, the it didn't reduce the water in the soil zone as much as the lawnplex did. The lawnplex resulted in less water in the soil zone, inferring that more water was transpired through the plant. Based on these results, it appears that the, when iron applications had an effect on only Oh, it had an effect. Only lawnplex had an, any consistent influence on water extraction, yet this was not related to rooting. Deep prolific root systems are commonly considered to enhance water absorption. In this study, poor correlations existed between water use and rooting. Water use tended to decrease as rooting increased. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. Yeah. So Sherman and Beard in 73 found a poor correlation between root organic matter and creeping bentgrass water use. Similar to shoot growth responses, the influence of iron carriers on water use and water extraction does not appear to be due to the iron, but to the other carrier components in the product. So something else in the product is probably doing this because the iron, they, they botched the iron wasn't doing it. I don't know how they know that, but I don't, I don't disagree with it, to be frank. Let's see what I'm dealing with here. Hang on one second. Okay, these results imply that in studies investigating the influence of a factor such as iron on bent grass total root weights, modest changes in the surface 0 to 10 centimeter rootings may have little influence on plant water use. Substantial changes in surface rooting or changes in the deeper rooting may be required before observing effects on water use. And then he goes into suggesting uh, future, future research should look at deeper rooting in bent grasses. Canopy temperature data was gathered as a stress indicator and to support water use data iron carriers had no significant or consistent influence on canopy temperature they didn't present the data because there's no influence correlations was were low between canopy temperature and water use so and they when they measured the canopy temperature following these iron applications nothing changed i would say i've done a, quite a bit of canopy temperature work and in my work where we're looking at applying pigments and dyes and colorants and things like that, or colored sands, different colors of top dressing sands, there is an influence on the canopy temperature, but it's very short. It's only for a short part, very short, when I say very short, only a day or two. And it's only for a certain part of the day. When the sun comes up highest and then, you know, as it starts to go down, you don't see anything. And before the sun comes up, you don't see anything. It's only during like the solar noon time frame 
for those two to four hours of time during the day. And it's only for the time frame from when you applied it until the leaf tissue covers it up that you see differences in canopy temperature. So canopy temperature, unless you're doing it with a thermocoupler, the canopy temperature from like IR guns and so forth, we just haven't seen, or I haven't seen much influence of really hardly anything except for right after the application. So if you're going to be measuring canopy temperature and stuff like this for my scientific buddies, I'm sure they already know this. You got to do it like the day of the application, you know, and then the next day and the next day, like by the hour, because it's going to quickly fade. You're not going to see anything after a couple of days and you're not going to see anything in the morning or the evening, really, because it's the sun's, you know, uh, solar, the radiation from the sun is generally what will cause that canopy temperature to increase from the differences in color. In this case, they're measuring canopy temperature because the, the transpiration from the plant would reduce the temperature of the canopy temperature, but they didn't see that happen. The results of this study, the conclusions, it appears iron can improve summer color and visual quality of iron sufficient bent grass. So even when the iron is sufficient in the plant, it appears from the application of these liquid sources that the turf grass quality and color can be increased. But the degree of color response is less than at other times of the year. So remember the increase was primarily in the late summer, early fall, not so much during the middle of the summer, although we did see an increase in color on, on one of the years, I think it was. Let me go back up here and look. This was winter, spring, early summer. Okay, so winter, spring, early summer. Yeah, late fall. So I oh, so the quality increase the quality didn't occur much in the summer or early early summer or late summer. Quality increases occurred in late summer, winter, spring, and early. Okay. But we did see an increase in color almost every application. Or they did. All iron treatments resulted in rooting equal to or less than the control in June to October. While only the Lawnplex provided better water extraction, iron relationships to summer drought stress as measured by canopy temperature were not strong. The fact that many turf responses can vary with iron carrier. So in this study, only Lawnplex enhanced water uptake, only sequestering 330 reduced verdure. This indicates that a factor other than iron influences some of the responses. In studies with only iron, with only one iron source, the results may be related to other chemicals in the source rather than the iron, and care should be taken in attributing responses to iron as a nutrient. So, fair enough. I mean, you're applying it to the leaf surface. You're not really going to need the EDDHA. So the extra carrier that's in there is the chelating component. And the uh, so he's saying that it might not just be due to the iron, it might be due to the other component in this in the material. Well, I would agree. I mean, in the in the EDDHA you have a chelate and the iron sulfate, you have a sulfate that's not there's no well, the sulfate's also in the iron EDDHA, but it it's been the iron's been chelated. And in the lawnplex, I don't know what else is in there. Let's see if they actually stated that. Maybe I missed that. The lawnplex. Yeah, it just says. No, it just says eight percent iron, eight percent sulfur. Okay, so it may not be due to the iron. It may be due to the other components, is what they're saying. But in general, not even in general, across the board, the color was increased by the application of fully applied sulfur, and I mean fully applied iron. Now, and I mentioned multiple times that 
it's very, very rare to see a turf grass response to granular iron. And I would say it's equally rare to not see a response from foliar iron. Foliar applied iron, whether it's chelated or not, is almost always going to increase turf grass color. And in many cases, increase it to the point where it'll influence and increase turf grass quality. And that's what these gentlemen found in 1992. So whether he applied it as iron sulfate, this lawnplex material, or the sequestering 330, which is the chelated material, I think that's the DTPA. I don't recall off the top of my head. Did they actually identify the the 330? Yeah. Anyway, um, whether you apply it from any of those, you're going to see an increase in color. So my point is, why not apply the least expensive source? Unless you have a problem mixing it, then then consider something else. If you, if you don't have a problem mixing it, then you don't have a good reason to spend some spend more money on an iron source than iron sulfate. If you use iron sulfate, soluble iron sulfate, spray grade iron sulfate, sorry, spray grade iron sulfate, if you use that and you have a problem in the tank, then you have a good reason to not use it. Use something, go ahead and spend the money on the chelate if that's you know what you desire to spend your money on. I'm just trying to get people to critically think your way through and, and base your decisions on good reasons. And what is a good reason? Evidence-based reasons. Hopefully evidence published in a refereed reputable turf grass journal. Okay. I need to go into those journals. Honestly, I don't care so much about uh, refereed published papers or peer-reviewed papers. I don't care so much about the data in many of those journals. I want it to be in a reputable turf grass journal. And I'll use an example. There's plenty of really good, valid research in many other journals. And I'll just pick on PLOS1. PLOS1 which I shortened to POS1, okay, for a reason. And you guys know what I mean by that. The information in that journal could be very valid. It could not be valid in, the, in, in turf grass because very rarely, very rarely are turf grass scientists reviewing those articles in that journal because it's not a turf grass journal. It's an all, all science journal. And so if you're going to submit a turf grass manuscript to that journal you're very likely going to be subjected to the reviews and criticisms of people who are not specialists in turf grass science so i don't know what gets put out in that you know as opposed to putting it in a reputable turf grass journal where i'm very convinced that if i submit an article to crop science there's going to be anywhere between two and four referee review reviewers on that and most of them if not all of them are going to be in the field of turf grass science and that's what i want I don't want to put out junk research. I don't want to. I don't want to slip it under the rug into some other journal where I know the turf grass scientists aren't reviewing papers for that journal. I want my my research to be heavily criticized and hammered by reviewers. Okay, that's what I want because I want to. I want to put out the best possible research I can. And then when you slip it into other journals that aren't refereed by turf grass scientists. I don't have a, you know, I don't know where we land with that. I don't know, you know, I can read through that and work my way through it critically and determine for myself whether or not the information is valid or not. But I don't really have to worry about that in crop science or agronomy journal or JEQ, you know, or soil science of America. I don't really have to worry about that. I'm pretty sure the reviewers were, were pretty, or, or the hort science paper, hort science journal. Those are solid too. Or or weed uh, weed bio, weed technology. Those, all those um, journals are pretty solid as well. Okay, so I'll go through that eventually. Um, I'm not sure how I got off on that tangent, but 
this this particular paper is a very good paper, and we see that happen over and over again where we apply foliar-soluble um, spray-grade iron sources, and we see responses almost every time. And um, so that's that. Any questions in the in the uh, for you all? Make sure be sure to put them in now because I will be back tonight. If I miss anything, I'll get back to you later on tonight. Um, Yeah, so Garden Earth Guy, I've seen tissue testing used as a tool to promote applications for take-all. Amazed at how many came back positive, even when irrigation was subpar. Now, when I talk about tissue, I'm talking about nutrient applications to turf grass as a result of following a tissue nutrient analysis. So thank you for saying that, because I want to make sure I clarify. I'm not talking about tissue analysis for anything other than nutrients. If you're going to send a sample for disease, for uh, disease diagnostics, you're going to send it to Dr. Harmon at UF. I have a great deal of confidence in that lab providing a recommendation that would be useful to you in pathology. I'm not a pathologist, but I know Dr. Harmon. I know his wife. and I know that lab. I know that process down there. and They do a really good job. When it come, and even here at Kentucky, there's a pathologist here that does work with these things. So that process is different than what I'm talking about. Okay, so I'm talking specifically about nutrients. Can I pay a testing facility for answers you need? I'm not, not sure what you mean by that, Gardner. You may have to expand on that. I don't know how to answer that. So... Bert from Sweden says iron sulfate is often used on golf greens in Scandinavia to suppress microdocrium patch and anthracnose. I cannot find proof. Is there the grass is getting darker at least. Thanks for the great podcast. Um, I will venture in very precariously, very uh, hesitantly. I will venture into the world of iron sulfate and diseases a little bit and probably next week. I'm not comfortable with that at all. I would get the authors on, but many of the papers, the authors aren't around anymore. I don't know how to, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, microdokium and thracnose. Again, you know, my, my, my policy is stay in my lane. I don't like getting out of my nutrient lane, but sometimes our lanes kind of cross over in the world of nutrients and pathology. I, I, I don't know if I have a paper on microdokium and anthracnose on iron sulfate. I do on, on potassium, but when it comes to iron sulfate, I can't recall off the top of my head. I know I have two, maybe three articles on weed control with iron sulfate. And I know there's like one or two on uh, silvery thread moss on iron sulfate. So uh, just hang, hang out and watch a couple of the next episodes, Bert, and I'll see if we can get there. But I'm certainly not the, the person to venture a, a, an answer on that off the top of my head when it comes to microdocium and thracnose and iron sulfate. But I'm sure there's somebody else that can do that. Okay, you guys are talking about copper. That's fine. I did. Uh, oh, <laughs> Garden Earth guy. I'm curious as to if, doc, if I'm assuming you mean me, if the doctor takes vitamins. I do not. There's a great deal of evidence to show that on an American diet, the use of vitamins is unnecessary. I do... I do take um, other things, 
that are not related to the nutrition of my body uh, that I feel are necessary. And there's literature to support that. But no, I don't, I don't take any vitamins. No. I'm fat enough as it is. I, have a, I, I, eat, plenty, I eat plenty of uh, vitamins <laughs> just in my normal diet. It's a curious question. I'm not sure why you asked that. Uh, I will say in, in general, all of us have true beliefs and we have not true beliefs. It's almost impossible to completely eliminate all non-true beliefs. Um, but in my world, in my, my life as I live it, I try my best to maximize the number of beliefs that I hold to be true. And I try to minimize as many beliefs that, I, that are not true. I want to believe as many true things as I possibly can. And I want to um, not believe or believe as, not believe as many false things. I don't want to believe any false things if I, if I can avoid it. But it's impossible. We're human. But that's kind of what I'm constantly thinking about. I'm trying to minimize the false beliefs and maximize the true beliefs as best I can. Okay? But it doesn't mean I, I, I have false beliefs. We all do. It's, I don't know any, psychologically speaking, I'm sure there's an explanation for that, which I can't venture a guess on, but we all have false beliefs. And I just try to minimize those as, as best I can. All right, guys. Tonight, I'll be back at 9 p.m., we're going to be going over probably iron sulfate and iron gluconeptinate. We're probably going to iron manganese and magnesium gluconeptinates, which is a chelate and sulfates. We're probably going to go over that uh, this this evening. We'll see if we can get another video. All right, thanks guys. We'll see you tonight, and don't forget I'll be back on the on the Grass Factor on tomorrow night as well. So for those of you who might not know the Grass Factor, um, you can just Google it, and I'll pop on their channel tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Until till tonight, I'll see you tonight at nine. Have a great day. Stay safe. Stay warm. Bye.